Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. At school, perhaps one of the best sounds in the world was the recess bell, or the end of school day bell, or the lunch bell, if only for the sake of food. Although the bells would be loud and startling, often, or perhaps mellifluous and classical, what they signaled was often even better. We had an old bell for a lot of my elementary school experience, a proper bell that would clang about. I think these days they probably have like a digital chime, and I know other schools have very lovely music to play to them between classes, but ours was old school. The signal to start school, to come back from recess... Or as was sometimes the case for me in elementary school, the signal that I was late. Bells signaled a lot. There was also, as a kid, a fascination with the waiting bell. You know the one that they'll put out on the desk in a lobby of like wherever you might have an appointment? A bell that you could hit and ding to let someone know that you were there? Give that to any child and you'd best be prepared for a cacophonous concerto of epic proportions. I'm sure that it sounds like they are an absolute music genius for the kids who are playing these. I also spent some time when I was really young attending a handbell concert or two. My uncle plays the English handbells. We'd go and watch him perform when I was little. He still plays today. At university, there was a great bell tower on campus that would ring out on the hour or the half hour, although sometimes it would just treat us randomly to an intense version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars or the theme song for Top Gun. Whether bells were calling us to school, to church, or waking us up like the French bells of Frère Jacques, or putting on a beautiful performance, there are many reasons to be grateful for bells. So let's take a moment for a little bit of love for the thing that goes jingling-a-ling. A bell is classified as an idiophone, percussion instrument. Bells largely produce their sound when they are hit and are often shaped like a hollow cup. There are a few tools that can strike the bell, like a small hammer, which you may have seen on a cuckoo clock, for example, or by a clapper or uvula on the inside of the bell. Or for smaller bells, like those on clothing or pet collars, these make noises by virtue of a small, free-rolling sphere on the inside of the bell. Bells can be made up of a few parts. If we're thinking of a traditional bell that is hung in order to swing, these bells have what is called a bell yoke, or head stock at the top. And connected to that piece by rope or another device is what is called the cannons, which is a loop at the top of the bell. You then have the crown, or the very, very top of the bell, the shoulder, which is just underneath, and then the waist, which is the main body of the bell. Near the bottom, we have the sound bow, and right at the bottom, we find the lip of the bell. The inner edge of the bottom of the bell, that opening, is called the mouth. And then, of course, we have the clapper hanging from the inside to make the bell ring. And then there's also the bead line, a line separating the waist from the sound bow. Bells can be made from a few different types of materials, including bell metal, gets its own metal, which is usually used for larger bells like church bells and clock and tower bells. Bells can also be made from glass, ceramic impressed metal. Most often, bells are made from brass because of the resonance. The word bell comes from Low German. It is said to have also had an origin from the Old English word bellen which means to roar or to make a loud noise, although this isn't necessarily, like, factual. The earliest archaeological evidence of bells that we have take us back to ancient China in the 3rd millennium BCE. The earliest clapper bells that we found were made of pottery and later made of metal. 
The earliest metal bells found date back to 2000 BCE and are found in the Taosi site and the Arlito site, both in China. In the Shang Dynasty, we started to see other kinds of bells. So the metal bells were used more for menial use, like on dog collars or horse and chariot gear. Bells continued to grow, and not just in use, but also physically in size. In the 13th century BCE, you could find bells weighing over 150 kilograms in China. Iron replaced bronze as the metal of choice later in 1000 AD. An iron bell dating back to 1079 found in the Hubei province in China is the earliest example that we have. The West, however, was at a much smaller scale, bell-wise, and for a number of years, the Assyrians had bells that were about four inches high by the 7th century BCE. Roman bells were a bit bigger, coming in at about eight inches in the 1st and 2nd centuries AD. Roman bells were also used to call people to bath. They were used to keep track of sheep and cattle and also in decoration. In Jerusalem, high priests wore small golden bells on their robes, according to the Bible's book of Exodus. In ancient Greece, handbells were used in the military by patrols going around the garrisons and camps. In 10th century Europe, bells were still not as big as they were in China, coming in at most at about two feet high. In the East, you'd most often find bells in use for palaces and temples. Some of these bells were hit with a stick to create the ring, the sound, while others would be so large that they required being hit with a large beam of wood from the outside to make their noise. Striking from the outside like this is necessary because some of these bells were so large that to try to swing them could potentially damage the tower holding the bell itself. That's a very powerful bell. In ancient China, chime bells made of bronze dating back to about 2,000 to 3,600 years ago were used as polyphonic instruments called bianchong or chong. These bells were unique in their casting and design, and the secret of how to make these bells was lost until about the 20th century, when in 1978, a set of 65 chong bells was discovered in mint condition in the tomb of Marquis Yi. They are special because their shape allows them to make two tones, depending on where you strike the bell. Because of the two tones, they can be played to make a 12-tone scale, which predates the European 12-tone scale by about 2,000 years. In Kyrgyzstan, the Kongaroo... I'm so sorry, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, and I couldn't find help. I tried looking it up, and all I got was kangaroo, so this is my best effort. <laughs> the kangaroo and other bells were used for some utilitarian purposes, with this bell being used to move herds. It was attached to the lead goat of a herd of sheep, which would signal where to go, with the bell hanging at the neck of the goat. In Lithuania, the scrabble is a wooden bell instrument derived from wooden cowbells. Scandinavian farm bells served a similar purpose of calling in workers at the end of the workday. Brings to mind the sound of the dinner bell, doesn't it? Bell founding is the name of the process of making bells that started in Europe in the 4th and 5th centuries. These bells are made out of what is called bell metal, we mentioned it earlier. Bell metal is made of bronze with 23% tin. Bell metal is used to make Turkish and Chinese symbols. For larger bells, you'll sometimes find these made out of iron or brass. People tried using steel for a while to make bells, but they just didn't last as long, and that practice stopped in about the 1870s. In Europe, bells were largely used for church and town bells. These bells are usually hung from a tower or hung dead, and they are hit with a hammer externally or a clapper internally. They can also be hung from a beam that will swing, called a headstock. 
When bells are swung, the sound from the bell comes out as it swings higher as opposed to the sound being directed downward, which is the case when it's hung dead. There's also a full ringing in which the bell swings in a full circle as it is rung. So here's a fun question. How do bell ringers for towns and church bells practice? Wouldn't that create like absolute chaos and a cacophony of noise that would annoy the whole town? Well, fear not, because thanks to a little bit of leather called a muffler, bell ringers can practice with very little sound. A half muffler is also used for funerals, which gives a full ring on only one round and muffles the sound for the other round when rung. A carillon is another way to play the bells. I believe this is what we had in our bell tower at school. A carillon has 23 iron cast bells that are played using a keyboard. Just the other day, I heard the bell tower playing a mix of both church hymns and the soundtrack for Top Gun, Star Wars, and La La Land. It's a very good mix. A carillon's original purpose was to tell the time and also to send messages. Just before the time would chime, bell ringers developed what is called the four strike to draw people's attention to the fact that the time was about to be told. This developed in the Middle Ages around the 14th century. By the 15th century, about four to seven bells were used for the four strike, which meant that melodies could be played. By about 1510, we see an early carillon which had nine bells. The traditional way to play a carillon is to strike the keyboard with your fists and push pedals with your feet to play the bells. Culturally speaking, bells have played a big role in religions and for important events. When I graduated from my undergraduate degree at university, there was a large bell on campus that anyone who wanted to could ring to commemorate the occasion. There was also a bell that you could ring at the end of the first marathon that I ever ran. You could ring it to share with everyone that this was your personal best. Which, like, was easy because it was the first time I'd run a marathon, so of course it was my personal best. There was nothing else to do better than other than like not doing it so got to ring that that was fun all of these have been fun to ring although none of them have picked me up off the ground as much as i wanted them to do it in religions bells have a long history in buddhist hindu and jain religions bells called ganta are used in ceremonies as well as singing bowls in many hindu temples bells are hung at the gate and rung when a person enters Japanese Shintoists, as well as Buddhists, use a few other bells in religious ceremonies as well. In the Roman Catholic Church, as well as some Anglican and Lutheran churches, small hand bells are used in religious ceremonies, rung at Mass. In the Russian Orthodox Church, bell ringing also plays an important role and has since 988 AD. Small bells and larger bells were made differently. Small bells were made with a lost wax process, which is when the metal sculptures are cast from an original. Larger bells, however, were made with the mouth downward, filling a two-part mold. Sometimes when the bell was too large to move, a bell pit would be dug next to where the bell was meant to go, and the bell would be poured and formed there in the pit. So, for example, right next to a church or a new bell tower. The sound that the bell makes is determined by the shape of the bell. Western bell making puts a lot of emphasis on creating a bell in harmony with its own harmonics. The harmonics include the strike tone, which is also called the named note, a hum tone, which is an octave below the named note, a tierce and a quint, which is a minor third, and a fifth above the named note, and a strike tone, which is an octave above the strike note. The study of bells is called campanology. 
Now, there are a number of famous bells around the world, Big Ben in England, the Liberty Bell in the United States, but the largest bell that ever may have been made was in Myanmar, or Burma, and was called the Great Bell of Damasedi. But it was lost in 1608 in a river after the Portuguese removed it from a temple. It was said to have weighed 300 tons. The largest bell still in existence today is found in Russia and is the Tsar Bell. It weighed about 170 tons, but was never rung. It broke in 1737. The Bell of King Sondok is the largest bell in Korea and was made in 771 CE. It weighs about 25 tons. The Olympic Bell is the largest harmonically tuned bell in the world and was made for the 2012 London Olympics. Some bells, though not all of the ones that I just named, were used in clock towers. And actually, the name clock comes from a Latin word meaning bell. Now, since it's Halloween, there is one more bell that I need to mention, and that is the cemetery bell. So here's what happened. In the 19th century, fear of being buried alive kind of just peaked. Everyone was terrified of it. This was also the time of Mr. Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Premature Burial. Seems like he hit it right on the money there, knew it was on people's minds. It's a genuinely freaky thought, though, to be quite honest, to be buried alive. So with these fears came a rise in the creation of what were called safety coffins, which gave the interred body a way to communicate with the living if they were not, in fact, dead. Some of these coffins had ladders or other means of escape, while others had bells. In 1829, a German named Dr. Johann Gottfried Tabiger created a system of bells that was meant to let the night guard on duty at the cemetery know that a person was not, in fact, dead. These bells were housed above ground with a little covering so that the bells didn't ring accidentally on their own, and then attached to the interred person with a string to their head, hands, and feet. There had to be adjustments made with bugs and rainwater and also with a few false rings from the uh, natural process of a decaying body that, you know, involves like swelling and stuff. Anyways, we won't get into that. There were many more innovations in this field, like a viewing tube in Franz Festo's 1868 burial case, as well as breathing tubes. But in theory, the bell was meant to offer something of an afterlife saver. Now, there are many more uses for bells that we haven't covered, but these are just a few. Whether they're calling us to lunch or to class, decorating our town squares, or letting us know that, to quote Monty Python, we're not dead yet, bells have given us a lot of music and a lot of, well, I guess, information as well over the centuries. And for that, for the music, the laughter, the celebration of good times, the call to something spiritual and something bigger than ourselves, and more, I am very grateful for bells. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care.